0: Do it. This is message four of the series Overturned Tables How Jesus Will Upset Your Religion, Especially When You Have It All Figured Out. So, we want to go back and just look at again um, today the fact that this whole series is about making not Jesus more godlike, because we know that. It's making more God Jesus-like. It's, it's bringing what we have always known about or thought we've known about God to see him through the eyes of Jesus, putting on the Jesus lens whenever we do this. And, and again, when you, go to, when you go to look back and, and see some of the things that we've always believed and thought about or been taught, the three things you can only bank on. God is love. When you open him up, cut him open, he's love. Whenever you're in doubt about the heart of God, always err towards love. Jesus is the Son of God. No doubt about it, he's the Son of God. He's God's representative heart to us. And number three, that the Holy Spirit will always be your counselor and coach. We'll be very positive with you. We'll be encouraging to you. And that's really what you can bank on. So uh, with that in mind... Let's go back again to Luke chapter 4 verse 18 and 19 and look at the mandate of Jesus. This was again right after he was tempted in the wilderness. He was led by the power of the Spirit. And the first place he goes is back to his hometown in Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue. It happened to be the day when it was his turn to read. The home preacher got to come home and so they expected a lot of accolades for them. He expected him to get up and thank them for the many years of teaching they had given him in the synagogue. And he gets up and he happens to turn to Isaiah 61. It's where the reading was that day. And so he gets up and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He leaves off, And the day of vengeance of our God. He does not read that. He sits down and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And instead of them getting excited about that, they got so angry with him. Because, you know, who is this guy saying that he's the Messiah? That they took him out to a cliff and we're just going to th- throw him. Now, this is a guy that just two minutes earlier, they loved, right? This is Jesus. You know, he's popular and he's starting his ministry. And now they're ready to kill him, throw him over the cliff. And the, and the Bible says he passes through them and he was not hurt. So, what was the message of Jesus? What was his message, you know, based on this? Well, number one, his number one message was to reveal the heart of, the true heart of God. And he had a lot of things he had to undo. That's why he told so many parables. That just, for us, we read them and we kind of got to work through them. For the Jewish listener that day, they would have really made a lot of sense and really upset them. Really upset their typical religious thoughts of the day. For example, and we'll talk about it in a few moments, the story of the prodigal son. uh, The story of the wage earners who all worked all day. And the people at the end got the same amount of pay as the people that started at the beginning of the day. Uh, You know, some of his sayings, I mean, he, he said that to really overturn the tables. So that was the first thing is to reveal the heart of God. Number two was to shake up what they believed about God. To overturn their tables of their religious and political beliefs. And he did it all the time. He was always ticking somebody off. Always. Always. Making somebody in the religious world mad. If it would have been today, people would be going to the blogs, people again, it's it's very simple, it's a very similar thing to what we're experiencing with the shack. I mean, you can all you need to do is type the shack heresy or don't go see the shack or whatever and you'll get tons of blog posts of like why this is wrong and you know, this is a heresy and this is what they're intimating and this is, you know, blah blah, blah 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 blah. So you can do that. That's what Jesus was like. Jesus came into the world and just shook things up all the time. Every time, all the time. And then the third thing he did was to bring grace. To bring the message of grace to the world. And to teach us now how to treat other people. How to give liberally. How to... Now, here's the thing about being a Christian. We cannot just so freely... Oh, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Accept this grace from God and love it, and everything like that. That was part of it. That's part one of the process. Part two is, He wants us to extend the same grace to other people that He's extended to us. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. That's where... That's where. All of us, no matter who we are, we get bogged down in this Christian thing. Is that we'll, you know, God is good and praise God for the cross and the resurrection and thank you Jesus for amazing grace. But the person two people over from me when I'm worshiping in church, I can't stand them. And I'm not going to offer them any grace. I'm not going to offer you any grace. You know what I mean? That cannot be. That's what he wanted to stop. Because that's how they were and that's what he wanted to shake up. So... What I want to talk to you today about is, is, for the first part of the message, is this phrase right here. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is the last thing he said that he was going to do, and what he's referring to is the year of Jubilee. Okay, so let's talk about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee happened only one time, generally, in the lifetime of an Israelite. This was this was talked about, and we'll talk about it in a second in Leviticus. This year of jubilee, because it was every fifty years it would happen. So they didn't live that long back then. So you, you know, and for any of us, you know, we might see one in our lifetime. It'd be like you know this, these amazing, you know, Halley's comet coming through or whatever. That's kind of how this was. Once you would see it. So the significance of the jubilee was you have to understand it in Jewish culture. Here, the very first piece of significant days for them was the sabbath day every 7 days on the 7th day you were to rest because god did the same thing he created in 6 days and then on the 7th day and again we we depending on what you believe in it there's no way to really prove it either way but just common sense says it it didn't literally mean like on Monday he created this. On Tuesday he created this. It, it, it's more than that, you know. And that doesn't shake your faith if you believe that. Okay, it doesn't shake your faith if you believe there was a billion year gap between Genesis one one and Genesis one two. It, it, it's it's all in eternity. It doesn't matter. You can ask God when you get there. But that shouldn't fake your shake your faith. Okay, it shouldn't shake your faith. Okay, so we don't know. But the significance was that on the sa- Sabbath day you were to rest. Now this was a really good thing starting off. It was a really good thing. It was just, hey, you're working hard, man. Just take a day to rest. You need to rest. For your body, it was for it was for you to pause, spiritually rest, and, and, and acknowledge God. It was for a safeguard, for human beings to safeguard us so that we would not just go through days after days after days and forget about Him. Stop and rest. Stop and be with your family. Stop working. It was a really good thing. But then... Man came in, and religion came in, and so we started it started becoming oh my it, it was never meant to be such a pain in the rear end that you know, hey, if you had to go out and your donkey fell in the in the ditch, go get your donkey out, you need that donkey, you need your cattle that was it it wasn't meant that if you did that, oh my god, you're good, but that's what they made it you know again, they made it to the point where they they exactly right they would not they would not uh Eat certain things so they wouldn't have to go to the bathroom on that day, so they wouldn't have to wipe because that was work. They wouldn't you spit. You know, got something in your mouth. Well, you had to swallow it. You got a bug in your mouth. Swallow it. Don't spit because that's work. I mean, that kind of nonsense. So when Jesus came in, that's why he said, "I'm the Lord of the Sabbath here. Sabbath was was made for man, but I'm the Lord of the Sabbath here, and I'm telling you that it is okay. It is okay." to spit on the Sabbath if I'm going to use it to make mud to put on a guy's eyes to heal him. It's okay to change a man's life who's got a shriveled hand uh, on the Sabbath day because that's a greater thing than your stupid rules and laws that you have. I mean, you know, you guys all grew up. We're all similar to the same age. I mean, some of the crazy nut things that you can or cannot do, that's how I ended up taking naps on Sunday afternoons because my parents were afraid to do anything else. You know, you wouldn't go out. You wouldn't go outside and throw a ball with your son. You know, so my dad never did that because I was on Sunday. Can't do that. You know, and we, we can't do this on Sunday. Can't do watch certain shows on Sunday. And uh, you know, and. And I always tell everybody, and it's kind of funny, but it's sad. I never saw the end of the Wizard of Oz till I was twenty five years old because it would always start at seven o'clock on Sunday night. I had to be in church. We were in church at seven thirty on Sunday night. Never, I only got to the point where she would get in the Munchkins would be represent, and then I would go to church. That's all the further I ever got on. I never knew what happened in the story because of that. So just silly things like that, you know, things you can cannot do. That was you. It was ridiculous, you know. It was okay. <laughs> this is, and again, this, back in the day, you couldn't go out and eat on Sunday. But then that got to be all right. You couldn't work on Sunday, but yet you're making somebody else work. That's how silly it is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just that wasn't the intent of the Sabbath. So that was the first day. Then every seven, uh, and then during the year, there were seven festivals. Which, if it f- fell on a week of the day of the sabbath the festival did then that made that a Sabbath's sabbath it made it like extra important then every seven years this was a sabbath 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 they would say let the land rest so, on the seventh year, if you had a property and you, and you did corn or beans or oats or whatever you did out there, on the seventh year, you had God would bless you, and He would promise you this that on six days i 'll bless it so on your seventh year, just bring it in don 't do anything you 'll have enough for your eighth year, and in, even into your ninth i 'll provide for you so he said, just let the seventh day seven every seven years, every seven years. On that seventh year, don't plant, just let the ground rest. Let it rest too, and I'll provide for you. Then, the the Jubilee was the Sabbath, 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 because every 49 years, So it was 7 times 7 after that 7th year. Here's what was going to happen too. This was the big one. This was the one. So this was the Sabbath, 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 Sabbath. And what that means is just like it's it's the phrase we say, it's the holy of holies. So in in other words, it's, it's a really set apart day. That's what this meant, the year of Jubilee. Or he's the king of kings. It's like a, that's the way this worked. Okay? So, this was a really important day. So the way you have to understand this is that all, all that happened in the Old Testament, and I'll just give you some examples of this. Everything that happened in the Old Testament was an actual event, but it was also a picture of what happened actually in the life of Jesus, and then extends on into the life of a Christian. And I'll show you what I mean by that. So, this is just just another kind of a little side side note. When um, Adam or when Mo, Noah was saved in the flood with his family, uh. Death and everything reigned underneath the water. So that was the picture of baptism. You know, you're saved above the water, you go under the water where you die to your old self and you come back up again. That was the picture. It was the picture of something that happened back then in in Israel's time was a picture. So when Jesus was baptized, it was kind of a picture of that coming up out of the water. That's why we practice baptism. Your old life goes down and your your old life comes up. Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, I showed you that Joseph took baby Jesus into Egypt so that the same scripture would be fulfilled. It says, out of Egypt I will call my son. Jesus comes back out of Egypt and brings deliverance the same way Moses brought them out of Egypt into deliverance into the Holy Land. Uh, Israel was 40 years in the wilderness being tested. Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness being tested. Okay, Trusting in God. Same, Same temptations too, because they didn't trust in God. The devil came to him and said, will you trust God? Same type of typology. Uh, Moses went to the mountain to get l- the law. Jesus goes to the mountain. Moses and Elijah show up to him, and he diminishes the law and the prophets at that point and says, I'm going to be the new way. And that's when he was transfigured on the mountain. Moses went to the mountain to get the law. Jesus went up to proclaim grace. Israel got water from a rock. Jesus brought took wine from water. He took it a step further and said, this is the wine that's going to be there. So Israel, they would hit the rock and the water would come out. You had this hard surface turned to water. Jesus took that water and said, I'm going to take it further. I'll take that water and I'm going to turn it into heavenly wine. And it was wine, by the way. It was not grape juice. So that's what it was. God provides manna to the hungry people of Israel, Jesus on a hillside takes five loaves, two fish, and provides for 15,000 people twice. He did that because he was the new provider. Moses was the provider for Israel, or God was the provider for Israel, and Jesus wanted to show, I am that. And then, of course, we all know that the Passover, Jesus became the, the new Passover lamb on the celebration of Passover. That's when Jesus was crucified. And then, the other big festival they had was the festival of Pentecost, and that was the day when the Holy Spirit came and said, and now I'm going to dwell believers. So he, he switched over everything to show you through the life of Christ, through the life of a Christian, that everything that happened in Israel's time actually was fulfilled in the life of Christ. So I say that to show you this now. The year of Jubilee. So here in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8, is the story of the Jubilee. So Jesus or God says to Moses, count off seven Sabbath years. 7 times 7 years, so that the 7th Sabbath year amounts to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the 7th month, on the Day of Atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, for each of you is to return your family, property, and to your own clan. So let me tell you what that means. Because of the debts of Israel to other Israelites, here's what a man would do. He would say, I don't have any money to pay you. So I, so I took a loan from Ben and Denise, uh, you know, $50,000, and I don't have the money to pay them. So this is what I would do. I would submit myself to be their slave. I would be their slave to work off the amount that I owed you. So I would pay you back by my time and my labor. Even though I had a family over here, I would would give myself as a slave to them. The original property that was given to me by Moses through the tribe of Jude, and everybody was given property when they came in, if I could not maintain that property, I could sell it to Stacy. And that would become her property. On the year of Jubilee... They would release me, no matter what I had left on that debt. You would release me. I would be able to go back to my family, and you would give back that property to me that I gave up. My inheritance would come back to me. I would be setting slaves free, and I would receive my inheritance back. And then any other debt that was owed amongst you, forgiven. All debts forgiven on the 50th year. Now, can you imagine if you're an Israelite, you're... Way, you know, you're. Wow, you know, good God, I'm waiting for this. You know, I'm waiting for my mortgage to get paid off. All my debts will be canceled in the fifth year. So you're looking forward to this moment. Jesus stands up and says, I am that moment. I'm going to set captives free. I'm going to return your inheritance to you that was stolen by the enemy. I am your jubilee. And they couldn't believe it. And they said, what do you, what do you mean? I am proclaiming the favorable, favorable year of the Lord. And when you look what he said, I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to set the prisoners free. I'm going to restore back to you. I'm going to give everything to you. I am becoming, I am your Jubilee. Going on to read. The 50th year shall be a Jubilee for you. You don't need to sow or reap what grows of itself or the harvest of untended vines, for it is a Jubilee and it is to be holy for you. It only what is taken directly from the fields In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. Okay, so that's what happened on the Jubilee. Now, here's the other interesting piece of this, is that when this Jubilee happened, and again, all Hebrew slaves were set free, including all the debt payers. So if you were in bondage to death, if you were in bondage to a disease, that's why Jesus came and healed people, because he was setting them free. If you, were, if you were in bondage in your prop, and the inheritance that you had, he came back to give us back our inheritance. He gave us all those things. Then the, the biggest thing that he did was the day he died, this is what happened and this is why. Look, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From rock to bottom, the earth shook. Look at this now. And the tombs broke open. The body of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Why? Because they were slaves to death, and he set them free on the day that he was gonna Set them free. The Jubilee. The Jubilee happened right before their eyes and they saw it. So these people that were in the grave come popping out, man. Wasn't just wasn't just Lazarus now. Wasn't just Lazarus. So so when that happens, when he dies and 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 sheds his blood, and then he resurrects, and now from now of us, none of us suffer death anymore. When you die, you do not die. You do not die. You just cross over, man. It's done. done. Death is done. Death is done. So we don't need to fear it. We don't need to fear that. So, when when you look at this again, he says this, and this is the amplified version of Luke chapter 4. He has sent me to announce release. And that word means pardon or forgiveness. So, remember the Jubilee, he came to announce pardon or forgiveness the woman caught in the act of adultery was no longer a slave to the opinions and to the law and to everything there he forgave her sin and set her free from the lifestyle that she was in. Zacchaeus, he set him free from the lifestyle of cheating people. Matthew, he set him free from the lifestyle of being a tax collector. The withered hand man, he set him free. The leper, he set him free. That's what he came to do. He was was proclaiming, I am the year of Jubilee. That's what his mission was. I'm proclaiming to you. You don't have to wait 50 years down the road. You don't have to wait 49 years. I am right before you. This is being fulfilled right now in your hearing. The Jubilee. It's amazing. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. So you know what you're living in today? You're living in a perpetual state of jubilee. So why in the world would we hold others into our debt? And why would, we, why would we be subjecting ourselves to that? We've been set free. So why do we keep bringing up sin? Sin is a huge debt. It's been paid. It's been paid. But that's all we preach about is your sin and your sin and get it right. You are set free of that. You still will show... You'll still just like... an amazing story and it's a true story... The slaves in America were set free, but several slaves would not leave their slave owner because they just couldn't believe and accept the fact that they they could have walked out of there. They could have walked out of those plantations, but were afraid to because it it was only the brave ones who said, no, I am free. And they walked away and they got away and and they, they were completely free. And that's why we still struggle with sin because it's a renewing of our mind to understand. Now, wait a minute here. This does not control me anymore. The year of Jubilee has happened for me. I am set free. How many times have you heard a message on the Year of Jubilee? Not very many, have you? No, it's crazy, it's nuts, because we're too busy preaching about sin. So here, here's something interesting. Now, I, I can. A, a man did this research, but I haven't been able to truly verify. But it's just interesting. So I'll just tell you the story. So a man went back and he and he took the biblical records of of the time, all the way back to like the genealogies in, in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, I believe, and then in the Old Testament, and he went back to where he figured that Adam was created. Because again, there could have been billions and, billions and billions and trillions of years or whatever, and the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff could all fit in there, and then Adam was just created when God said, okay, I'm going to create a man. So, so in biblical times, this is what he came up with, that on the 40th jubilee, which is again is 40 times 50 years, on the 40th jubilee, from when he believed Adam was created, that's when God called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees. And here's why he said he believes this is true: because it has to just fit two criteria. You have to come out of slavery and go into your inheritance. That's the two kind of keys of what's happening in a year of jubilee. So at that time, God calls Abraham out of out of. Babylon, which is a a place of slavery, and sends him to his inheritance. Said, You're going to, you are going to be the one that all the nations of the world are going to come from. And you're going to, in the stars of the sky, will not even match how many of your inheritance and your descendants are going to be, because I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And Abraham wasn't even expecting it, it was God doing it. The year of Jubilee, he didn't ask for it. God just put his hand of blessing upon him and pulled him out. So it was 40, 40 Jubilees from when Adam, the 50th Jubilee from when Adam came out was when Israel came out of Egypt. Israel in slavery. God performed the miracle. They come out, they take their inheritance with them, and they were heading to the promised land. That happened on the 50th Jubilee from Adam. On the 60th Jubilee from Adam is when Solomon built his temple. And here's what's significant about that. When Solomon built the temple, David had done all the fighting and all the fighting that happened before that with Joshua and everything. The land was at peace. And finally, for the first time since God promised it, the land of Israel was at peace. And God had provided, he'd set them free from all the bondage, and he literally gave them their inheritance, and they were enjoying it when Solomon built the temple. It was the first time in Israel's history. Now, shortly thereafter, they got back in a mess again. But for that time, on that jubilee, everything happened that said it was going to happen. Now watch. On the 70th jubilee from Adam... That's when Israel was back in Babylon. This when Daniel was there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were set free again, and they were able to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah and Ezra were excited about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, and they rebuilt it again on the 70th Jubilee. Guess what happened on the 80th Jubilee from Adam? Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected to bring the final Jubilee. On the 80th jubilee, why was it the 80th? Because the eight eight is a number of a new beginning, and it's a number. You know, God often talks with seven, but eight is the number of a new beginning because it starts over. One through seven It's eight is the new beginning. Is when Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected again on the 80th jubilee from Adam. So God has kept it, and Israel didn't even know it. God was keeping the jubilee going from the beginning of time all the way up through. And you can find huge event in Israel's history and in the Bible to verify that those things happen. So God loves the jubilee. So and then this proves that that did happen because look, even even that day when Jesus rose from the dead, boom. Or when Jesus was crucified, all these people were set free right then and there. So So when so now, because of Jesus, we live in a perpetual state of Jubilee. So what does that mean for us? Well, okay, well, that's great. That's wonderful history, and it's exciting. What does it mean? Well, Jesus told us what it means to live in Jubilee. It's, re- it's, it's really, really good, and, I, and I, I think that you'll start to see something here. It's a little bit different. All right. So, Matthew 22, verse 34 through 35, Jesus says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, key word here. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So these two commandments are, are some of the most important. Actually, there's three there. And here's here's how we live in the Jubilee. And I'll, I'll show you more in a scripture to show this to you, why this is true. Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Impossible to do. I'll tell you how we do that in just a second. Number two, love your neighbor. Give the same love that you love God. Love other people that way. Very, very hard to do. Especially when People are just pains in their rear end, but we love them too. And then the third thing, love them like you love yourself, which is very hard to do. So almost impossible things that God says, this is how you live in the Jubilee. So so let's keep reading here. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, 31, he says, it's kind of the same thing, but he answers them in another way. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbors yourself. There is no commandment greater than, Than these, when Jesus saw, uh, he was asking a guy this question and he, and he says to the guy who answered that question, when Jesus saw that that man had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from there, no one dared to ask him any questions. So again, this isn't heaven. He's saying, remember I talked last week about the kingdom of God is running parallel with this world system. He says, you're not far, dude, from crossing over because you understand now that you've been set free to love God, love people, and love yourself. That's the key to making this happen. So, reading on, Jesus says, So in everything you do to others, what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So again, love others like people. You would love yourself. Do everything to others as you would have them do to you. And Paul goes on to elaborate with this in Romans 13, 8, 9. He says, let no debt remain outstanding. Why? Because we're in the year of Jubilee. Except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever has loves one another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So our way to get around that is saying, well, they don't live anywhere near me, so they're really not my neighbor. So I can hate them because they live across town. No, I think we know that's not true. Alright, so that's the purpose of that. Alright, so how do we love God? How do we love God? Well, we go to church. no, 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 no. Okay, those are all outflows in this. But to love God means this, that we have to come to a place where we know He has a good heart and we can trust Him. I remember counseling with someone, which I, I'm a horrible, this kind of counseling person. I'm a good, I'm a good coach and I can motivate you, but... <laughs> You know, I I remember this person, it was when we were in RLM. They they came out clearly, very clear, and said, and you would be surprised. This the person was very involved in things. But they came right out and said to me, I do not trust God. I do not trust him. I'll I'll I'm saved and I'll serve him, but I do not trust him. Listen, love Cannot survive without trust. You've got to trust. I've got to trust. You know, again, the husband and wife, we know all that It makes sense. But a friend, a, a friend, I've got. To, if I come to you in confidence and I know you're going to spill your guts and tell everybody about it, and I can't trust you, guess what? We're not going to be friends. I'm not going to trust you. Trust is so so important. It's the bedrock. And if you and I cannot trust God, we're in trouble. So God told them way back in Leviticus, he says, you may ask, what will we eat if we don't in the seventh year, if we don't plant or harvest our crops? In other words, God, how, if I, if I trust you with my life, how can I really trust you? Because, you know, you trust you with your money, you trust you with our life, and love will go through all your heart, soul, and strength. And this is what people were like in the day of Jesus. They trusted, they used God to fleece people inside the temple, but they were really trusting in their money. That money that was coming in was going to keep them sustained. It wasn't God. That's the way they were too. They were freaking out. We're farmers. How can, How is it possible, it's not possible to not... Sow and reap in that seventh year. And he says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. Remember, I told you that they, that they would have to do that? So the sixth year was going to come so much harvest that the seventh year you're letting it rest, no problem. In the eighth year, you got to plant again, and it actually would wait till the ninth year before you start reaping off of that again. He said, I'll give you enough in that sixth year to cover you that much. That's amazing. Now, Jesus follows it up in Luke 12, 29 and 30, and he says to to the people he's talking to now, same thing. Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Don't worry that this house is a money pit and that you're losing money on it every month and you're going, oh my God. (laughs) For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. And don't set your heart on what you eat or drink. Don't worry for the pagan. Okay, I just did that. But seek its kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. He goes on to say in Luke twelve thirty two 32-33, he's continuing on. He says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Don't, don't go out every week and buy a new purse. Just have that one that you have one that you have to make it last. Yeah. <laughs> <A> tre- <laughs> he didn't mean that. A treasure in he- <laughs> Go for a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth will destroy. He says in Matthew 7 7 8, asking it will be given to you, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. And I love this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake? If you then, this is a great verse. If you then, Though you're evil, <laughs> basically though you're a human being, though you're a human, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, and you would never deny them that, how much more? One great study in the Bible is, is type in the words how much more all through the Bible and see in how it relates to God. How much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything you do to others, what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. How do we live in the Jubilee? We, tr- we, we learn, and it's hard. It is hard. We say we trust God, but it's really hard. When someone we know gets cancer, it's hard to trust God. When the bills are coming in and you don't see an outcome that looks good, it's hard to trust God. When your child goes wayward, it is hard to to trust God. But Jesus says, if you will allow me to live in you in this year of Jubilee, I will help you learn to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and learn to trust Him so that you can, and I can, reap the benefits of this year of Jubilee. So, if we're not... It's, it's, that's an area that Christ wants to work in us to get us to do that so we can experience that jubilee, that trust. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's true. We push the obey part. But if I, if I don't love you, you, know, you can ask me and I can do it out of duty. But I won't do it because I love you. And, I won't, and I, won't, I won't trust you. And I don't want to be that way with God. And that's what Jesus came to say. Look guys. This is how you do it. Trust. 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 So. <sighs> loving him means we trust him. The second thing loving him means is that we know. Now watch this now. That he is really good. And then I want you to dare in your mind. Let's just take a moment to do this. I want you to dare in your mind, and you can't do it right this second, but think about an end result with God being a good God, and then take it about a million times further because He is so much better than what our minds can conceive of Him being. Now, we've been taught, and what we've been taught has caused us to be... "Mm, And so we come around with all these excuses of things. And we, we, try, to, we try to defend God. And, you know, um, there's a movie out that they keep showing in churches. God's not dead one and God's not dead two. Well, you know, bless our hearts. I think God is probably big enough to defend himself. But here's the problem. Is we who are his friends, not, not us, but we as, as a Christian world, we're kind of ambivalent on this. Because here's the question. How could a God of love allow this? How could could the God that you're describing to me in this Old Testament who seems to be killing people on a whim, who when Uriah is carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the city and he slips and he touches the Ark, God kills him right on the spot. How could that God, how could a God send all these people to hell and you say he's a good and loving God? How can this be? And so we have to come up with... An, well, um, And we come up with answers. And we use our Bible to come up with these answers. But if you're a human being, you're yourself going... Mm, this is a tough one. Well, and here's what our answer is. We don't understand it now. But in the sweet by and by, <laughs> we will know. But those questions should trouble you. And it's okay that if those questions trouble you. You're a human being. You being evil know how to give good gifts. You're standing on a curb. You're distracted. Your, your little daughter's here. She's five years old. You're distracted for a moment. She runs out in front of a bus coming. And here's what you say: Boom! Tragically, she's killed right in front of you. You say, "Well, I've taught her. I taught her that she should have known better. She chose to go out there, and I and I and you would just." Wipe that off and say that. No. Tough stuff. You could have called out to her. You could have, would you have, if you saw her running out there, what would you have done as a parent? What would you have done? What would you have done? What would you have done? Run you would have ran after. Right? Absolutely. Sure. But, but yet we say God's like, well, we told them. We told them that they're, you know, they're going to hell because they wanted to go there. We told them. <laughs> we just told them that. Something's wrong. Something's, something's not right here. Something is not well. So, so the parents say, Well, I'm a parent of justice. I'm a parent of justice. And, and people would come to you and say, I, And you're at the, your daughter's casket, and they walked up to you and said, It's all right, honey, because you were a parent of justice. They deserve that because they walked they were rebellious to do They deserve that to happen to them. See, something's not right, guys. Something is not right. It's hard to love and trust a God that we have doubts about. Oh, I don't doubt at the cross, and he can be provided. and Yes, yes, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. But something is wrong. Something is wrong. So you've got to be able to deal with those kind of questions in your mind, because you, I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. When I, when I see him, and we won't be disappointed, but I, I want to run to him and say, my Lord and my God, and fall on my knees and say, you are so much better than what I gave you credit for. You're so much better. All the people that have crossed over, Diane, today, if she could come back, would say, "Oh my God, James, you you started down the path, but you, God is so much better than what you know. This is so much better than what we ever imagine. So much better. I have not seen, and ear hath not heard, the good things that God has prepared. So it, so that is this city floating on a cloud with gold streets and." Perpetual church services for 24-7? That's, that's, that's it? That's the good? That's the good? all oh, but you'll be in the presence of Jesus. That's our way of getting around it. Well, yeah, we will. And that'd be great. Okay. Hey, I'll go visit Moses and I'll see David for a while. And we're, You know, is that what's going to happen? For eternity upon eternity upon eternity upon eternity upon eternity? Which, by the way is not a word in the Bible. The word eternal does not mean this afterlife that goes on for eternity that you never have any conscious of. This That word is not in the Bible. That's a word that was stuck in there. The word is actually, is a word that means ages. This age, this age, this age, this age, this age. Which should freak out your spiritual thing. Going, wait, what? There's no word for eternal? No, it's not, there's not, by the way. So anyway. All right, so let's move on. So, all right, so... How good, is, how good is God? Well, God... I'm sorry. This is how good God is. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. said He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone should come to repentance. Here's how we've been taught this verse. He doesn't want people to perish, but they're going to. Right? I mean, that's how we've been taught, right? Yeah, so, so God—that's what God wants. But man's stronger than God, and the devil is stronger than God. And so, what God wants—tough, eh, God—that's what you wanted, but mm, not going to happen. The all powerful <laughs> the all-powerful God that created everything, who by His words spoke the entire universe into existence—is at the mercy. Of Cindy Sampiri, of Anita Kiger, of Danny Warless. This is this is good and pleases God our Savior. Who wants. He wants everybody to be saved and to understand the truth. Uh, sorry, God, I want a big mansion too, but I don't have that. I guess you're not going to get that. Romans 5, 6 and 7. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone else would even die. But while we didn't do it, in fact, he goes on to say, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners and hated him, Christ loved us that much that he died for us. But God demonstrates that we're, Christ died for us much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. I don't know why that came up twice. Psalm 103, we read this earlier. Praise the Lord my soul for getting all his benefit, who forgives a quarter of your sins, all your sins, and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. See, this throws us off. So, why are people dying of cancer? Well, when you. See death we because we're human death means so much it means to us the end of everything it's the end it's the end it's the end it's the end but for God death is just an enemy death is just a pain in the rear that he redeemed us from when he sent Jesus to reverse the curse of Adam it's just a it's just an inconvenient thing sin brought death Jesus righteousness brings us life the world after this world is going to be just so amazing. So he does. Whether you happen to die from it doesn't mean he didn't heal your disease. Because here's the thing let me ask you a question. If somebody, if I report to you today I have cancer, I have four months to live, and Jesus heals, heals me, will I still die at some point in time? Yeah. Yes. I'm still going to die. It's a point under man wants to die. And after that, so you're going to die at some point in time. So he heals all our diseases. So we get mad at God for this. We get mad. Oh, it's all in his plan, and it's, he's for the best. No, no, no. It's not for the best. It's not for the best. When somebody dies, it is not for the best. But he can turn that around, and he can make that good. And I can't think of one good thing that happened in my life because my dad died when I was 11 years old. I can't think of really hardly anything good about that. But the reason he died is because we're living in an earth that's filled with cancer. We're living with an earth full of Pollutants. We're living in an earth that we have created this way. And God can God can heal when He does heal. But we're all eventually gonna die. But He brings us new life on the other side of that, and it's gonna be amazing. Yep. Free of diseases. He redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion. He takes what's evil, and that's why he came into this dirty world, so he could help us overcome the world. He satisfies your desires with good things, etc., etc., etc. And then, let's keep going on. And again, here it is. He told the people of Israel, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, high as the heavens are above the earth. See, we just go through this really quickly. But look what it says. His love is... He has to put it in terms we can understand. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great... Is his love for... And here's where we get all freaked out. For only for those that fear him. That simply means those who revere him and will accept that love from him. That's it. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed our transgressions from us. His father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And we, love, we just so... We, our mind immediately goes to, see... But it's not for those who don't fear him. That's exactly where our mind goes all the time with this. Okay, so back to Leviticus 19. All right, so we're getting ready to wrap this up here. Let me see why I have this scripture verse up here. I have no idea. Oh, I know why. Okay. If you want to know what God's like, listen to the story that Jesus told about the prodigal father. The son treated his father horribly. He took his inheritance and he told his dad, I want you to die now. I'm taking my inheritance now, which means I want you to die now. This is unheard of in Jewish culture. The son's attitude toward his father. I don't care. I want to live my life the way I want to now and I want your money to do it by him taking that money it caused the whole estate to be in flux because that money was in savings that money was growing interest and the father willingly let his son have his portion of the inheritance it was a three-way portion the two sons and the father they were all sharing it so he took out so one third so the thing is basically actually it's, the inheritance was for the two sons it was basically cut in half all their all of their. Money that they used to run the estate, the farm, South Fork, whatever you want to call it, is now cut in half. So everybody suffered because the son did what he did. And then he's not investing the money, guys. He's living a wild life, a riotous living, prostitutes, parties, snorting coke, doing the whole deal, living in Miami on a yacht, blowing through this hard-earned money that his father had. So what did the father do? The father said, he's no son of mine. I am going to excommunicate him out of the family. No son of mine. That's not what he did, right? Every day, he waited for him to come back. He's looking for him. He's looking for him. He's looking for him. He's looking for him. The God of justice is looking for him. Son comes to the end of his rope, goes into the pig pen. You know the story. Decides to come home still with a crappy attitude. He wanted to come home so he could eat. He said, I'll just be a servant of my father. So I'll contrive this apology so I don't have to go to hell so I can at least just crawl in the kingdom and make it to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. That was his attitude. That was the why he served God. I know you don't know anybody like this and I know you've never lived your life like this. I'm being facetious. But so many of us got saved because we love God, heard the gospel story, but we're really happy we're not going to hell. We've got a ticket out of hell here. This is fire insurance. Right? It's not because of... So let me ask you a question. If we eliminated hell and we eliminated heaven, would you still love Jesus? I think most of you would. So why do we need that to motivate people to come to Jesus? Why do we need the fear of punishment? Well, we, have to take that, we have to have fear of punishment. Really? Wouldn't it be because God is such an amazing God and He would change your life and your life would prove by having a relationship with this amazing, amazing God? Oh, can't have that. Can't have a God like the Shack's talking about. Can't, can't have that. So anyway, so the son comes back. Did the father allow him to confess his sin so that he could restore him? No. no. Wouldn't even let him, wouldn't let him get it out of his mouth because it wasn't important. That's your father. He says, Oh, you you ruined half our kingdom? Doesn't matter. We don't have very much money left. But guys, let's throw a feast. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's give him his ring back to restore his full sonship. Not a pastor that falls and will maybe let him be a Sunday school teacher or a person that gets divorced and they can't be a deacon now because they got divorced. Not that. Full sonship. Full sandals, full robe, full restoration. Totally unfair. That is not justice, guys. That kid should have suffered. He should have had his rear end pounded good. He should have had the town beat the crap out of him. He should have suffered. He said, "You, you treat me like that? You live out there in that little shack. That's what the older brother wanted. I have served you this whole time. And this guy comes back and you give him this. That's your God totally not justice not fair that's grace that's grace so we can't we can't say this which we do say I've said it you said it what about somebody like Hitler that sucker did all these things that sucker should burn in hell but what if God found a way to burn away the dross of Hitler's life even after he died and, and had him stand before him to where Hitler according to Philippians chapter 2, it says that every knee at the end will bow and every tongue will confess. We've always pictured Hitler standing there rigid going blah, 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 and God going, and the big angels going, bringing him to his knees. But what if he willingly fell on his knees and said, my Lord and my God, how would we react to that? He doesn't deserve it. Bin Laden doesn't deserve it. So I ask you the question, which brother are we? It's, it's tough. It's tough. I'm, I'm telling you, it's tough. But see, that's what our Father's like. It's not fair. It's not fair. I get. I worked all day, and now you're going to let this knucklehead in at the last minute? A deathbed confession? Are you freaking kidding me? And here's what law-based Christians will say. This is what they'll say to me. Then why should I even serve God? If I could just go out and sin and do all these things, why should I serve God? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you'll get a DUI. Maybe because you'll kill somebody out there. Maybe because you'll puke and you'll be a of god. Maybe because you'll become addicted to drugs. Maybe because you're going to get some kind of venereal disease. I don't know. Maybe you would serve God because it's a great life. <laughs> and you'll get to love God and it's a great way to live. And you're going to love people and treat people well. Maybe that's the reason. It's not because you're afraid of going to hell. That should be the reason. Oh, no. Can't have that. That's that cotton candy gospel. Okay, so, close, I'm sorry I'm preaching so long, but I've had some... All right, so anyway, so uh, so love God. You've got to know how good He is. You've got to trust Him. Then, it's, then, then it becomes easier to love the Lord God through all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You become infatuated with Him. He's so good. And now when you come infatuated with Him, that's the gospel story. That's why we witness... That's what I've had somebody ask me just recently. Well then if there's if, if you're if you're saying that God's not punishing people eternally in hell then why we tell them about the gospel? Why just pour Again, because he's so good. I want to tell you because he's so freaking good. I told you about the shack because it was a good movie. That's the reason. That's why we should witness. That's why people should come to church because we come together and we just we just jump and are so excited. Oh my God. This is a, how can this be? This is so amazing. And if you felt that way, you would invite anybody in. Come on in. Because he loves you and accepts you. It's okay. Full restoration, dude. I don't care what you do. Come on in. It's like we're having a freaking party in here and the older son wouldn't come in. He wouldn't come in. Church people won't go into that. Church people can't handle that. God can't be that good. He cannot be. He's got to be mean. How you view God is how you'll treat people. If your God is a God of vengeance, and you can justify God treating people like crap, then you will too. But if your God is a God that forgives and a God that is abundant in grace and that's who you love, He's going to rub off on you and you're going to be the same way. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You two ladies holding hands, welcome. You two guys coming in that are a couple, welcome. You that have a, a, a turban on or you have a covering and you want to learn about Jesus, welcome. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. But, but if we don't, if our God's... Then no. Nope. And the sad thing is, is we use our Bibles to justify that. Holy goodness and mercy. So we've got to find out what God's really like. I know I'm preaching. So here's what, here's what the whole thing was. When Jesus came up with love the neighbor as yourself, this is where he gets it from. When you reap the harvest of the land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. What he's saying is, is you have all this abundance in the middle of your field. Let the outside go so that somebody who is lazy and a bum and doesn't have anything can take your extras. Just give it to your neighbor. And don't worry about it. If you set out some corn or you plant some corn and some tomatoes and you see some bum out here pulling them off your thing, don't walk out there with a shotgun and say, get on my property day! Let him have it. Let him have it. Don't go over your vineyard a second time because you're selfish. Or pick up your grapes. Leave them there so the poor and even some, guy, some Samaritan can come in there and have it. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't deceive one another. Don't swear falsely by my name and profane the name of your God. I'm the Lord. Don't defraud or rob your neighbor. Don't hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. In other words, well, I said I'd pay you today, but eh, you can wait a day or so. Give him his money. Don't curse the deaf. Don't make fun of a deaf person. They can't get out of their sayings, and say all this stuff about it. Don't do that to them. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blinds, a joke. This is what they were doing. People walking along, can't see, and laugh. Fear the Lord your God. Do not pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. Don't go about spreading slander among your people. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor the life on the Lord your God don't hate a fellow israelite in your heart rebuke your neighbor frankly so you're not sharing their guilt do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself if you love those that love you Jesus says what credits that to you even sinners love those who love them if you do good to those who are good to you what credits that to you even sinners do that if you lend to those whom you expect repayment what credit is that to you in other words, somebody you know has a crappy credit history, but you know their heart. Don't be stupid, but you know their heart, and you can lend them some money. Give them the money. God said, I'll provide it back to you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High. So how do we do it? We love God, and this is about loving our neighbor as ourself. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Because again, the Old Testament law was eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus said, "Mm." He causes the sun to rise and the evil and the good, sins rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? In other words, whoever, you have a different political view than I do, or you have a different religious view than I do. Why can't I just love you because you're Terry and love you because you're... St- why, do I, why does it have to be a contention? Just Okay, we agree to disagree. whoopy doopy doo day day So what? Does that make you a bad person because you believe a certain way? No. Well, I'm going to unfriend you, and I'll block you, and be perfect. Therefore, is your heavenly Father is perfect. First John says, "And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and His Son." Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's the same kind of love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, I love this. You want to know what God's like? Then you love kids that are in love. Stacey does this in the front office. She's, she's like a mom up there through the attendance kids that all of us have had. We've had it with them because they're just... And she'll love them. So where's God in the school? Oh, God's not in the school. Yes, God's in the school. He's right there. Loving another like He loves them. God is there. His love is made complete in us. Be, Ephesians 4.32 Be kind compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God forgave you. Follow God's example in Colossians. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Bear with each other, forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I can't. I can't do that. They've hurt me too bad. And all of these things put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So basically, this is it. I love you even if you don't like me or you do speak bad of me. I love you even if you don't believe like I do. I value you even though I don't agree with your politics. I value you even though you screwed up big time. I value you even though you hurt me personally. I value you even if you're different than me. I value you if you're a different color, sexual orientation, or religion. I value you even if you're in rebellious, gross sin. I still value you as a person. Hard stuff. How can we do it? Can't. You can't. I can't. But for grace. I receive and let him use me to love like he does. Our world would be changed. The last thing in closing is this. Love God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I were to talk to you like I talk to myself so many times. You would not be my friend. If I were to treat my internal conversation and turn that on a student that I counseled with, I would be taken out in handcuffs. And you would too. You have been trained to treat yourself poorly because you've been told... To value yourself is pride. To value yourself is not humility. But to not value you is to say, God, your beautiful creation, I'm going to spit on, put down, and hate. You will never love others Until, and I will never love others, until I love myself. How do I do that? By realizing how much God values me. I was not, and see, I was not worth it. But he made me worth it. He died for us. He died for us. We are worth it. Hardest thing. Others deserve the love, but I have a hard time giving it to myself. God said, I can heal you in three ways. I can heal you to love God. I can heal you to love others. And I can heal you to love yourself. That's the year of Jubilee. See, this is the loving yourself. That's the inheritance Setting people free is the debt piece. And then loving God is receiving the fact that he's the one that gave us the Jubilee. That's how powerful God is. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to play a song for you. um, And then um, we'll just go from there. Father, we thank you so much for this powerful word that you have given to us that speaks to our hearts. We accept your love. We're willing to allow you to work in us to give that love. And Father, we accept the challenge to love ourselves like we would love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.